Hi, it's Dr. Risa E. Lewis dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adara Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book coming in 2024 by HarperCollins. Pre-order now, Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact, wherever you buy your books. I know that I stand on the shoulders of so many, and so that gives me a great obligation. You know, I'm not going to waltz in to be in the first and just settle on that rest on my laurels. It means that I have to work just as hard as I did to get this job, to not only keep the job, because that's, you know, temporary, jobs come and go, but to actually execute on the functions and be representative. It's not just a word in the title. It is my raison d'etre every day to reflect all of the stories that have come before. But, you know, to be the first, it means a lot to me, and I don't take it for granted. This is the Visible Voices Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Risa Lewis. In today's episode, I'm speaking from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with Rhode Island Congressman Gabe Amo. Gabe grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which, for those of you who may not know, it's right next to Providence. Now, I know you're saying, well, Risa, isn't everything close to Providence? But the truth is, no, Pawtucket is really close to Providence. His father is from Ghana. His mother is from Liberia. He's a Marshall Scholar. He's a Truman Scholar. And he is elected to serve Rhode Island's first congressional district. This happened in 2023. Now, there are aspects of Gabe's election that are unprecedented and unusual. In September of 2023, in an upset, he won the Democratic primary to become the party nominee for Rhode Island's first congressional district. The general election was held on November 7th, and he won the election, becoming Rhode Island's first Black candidate elected to Congress. He was officially sworn into Congress on November 13th, 2023. So guess what, audience? I am speaking with Gabe after his first 100 days. So a brief history lesson on the origin of the first 100 days. The 100th day of his presidency was June 12th, 1933. His audience is Franklin Delano Roosevelt's. On July 25th of that year, he gave a radio address in which he coined the term first 100 days. And I quote, looking back, we all wanted the opportunity of a little quiet thought to examine and assimilate in a mental picture the crowding events of the 100 days, which had been devoted to the starting of the wheels of the New Deal. So since then, the first 100 days of a presidential term has taken on mm, symbolic significance, and that period is considered a benchmark to measure the early success of a president. So today, audience, we're speaking with Game Amo and asking him to give an assessment to benchmark his first 100 days. Let's get to the conversation. Congressman Gabe Felix Amo, thanks for joining me on the Visible Voices podcast. It's great to be on with you. We are close to your first 100 days. And according to the Brookings Institute, Roosevelt, that's Franklin Delano Roosevelt's rhetoric and mastery of the new medium of radio were not what made him the president who's remembered for the first 100 days. It was the breathtaking scope of bold and new actions, both legislative and regulatory that set the bar so high. Ever since then, presidents have been evaluated for their performance in the first 100 days. How would you evaluate your first 100 days? Yes. Uh, Well, first off, I'm grateful to be on and to share my perspective on serving the people of the 1st Congressional District in Congress. 
You know, the 100 days measure is is an interesting one, especially as you extrapolate it to the work of a legislator, right? The context with which Roosevelt was operating was a Great Depression, you know, following the presidency of Herbert Hoover, a need to uh, stabilize our markets, to feed people, to get people employed. And he had the real big urgency to deliver from an executive function. Now, from my perspective in the legislature, where you're one of uh, a team, me, one of 213 Democrats, one of 432, I think, members of the House of Representatives due to some vacancies, it's hard to do anything on your own. So you lack the faculties to go out and do what you want and make government malleable to your intentions and desires. Additionally, in this current context, in this moment, we have an unfortunately, historically unproductive House of Representatives because of the House Republican majority that, as you know, struggled to elect a speaker last January, has struggled to pick a second speaker. A succession of names have come through, and now they've landed on Speaker Mike Johnson, who only came to that position a few weeks before I was elected, and a lack of will to take on big challenges. Right now, you're up on Capitol Hill. You'll see that we have a national security package that won't move. We have a ton of pressing needs to fund the government into the next fiscal year. So my evaluation of my first 100 days are learning, are orienting, digging in and building my team, my portfolio of issues, the caucuses in which I participate, and looking forward every day to supporting Rhode Islanders on the small things, the medium things, the big things, whether it's a constituent services issue, the first pieces of legislation I'll introduce, and working to meet the moment on the things that emerge as priorities for us at home. Some of the issues on which you've built your campaign and have asserted your opinion include healthcare, specifically reproductive healthcare, gun violence, specifically prevention of gun violence. Your mom is a nurse. And I'm wondering the role that health has played in healthcare in your campaign and how you see the importance of all of us participating in the civic health of our country. That is such a great way to put it, because when you look at the connective tissue there, it's a freedom from the fear of gun violence. It's a freedom to make choices. It's a freedom to live and breathe and thrive at your fullest capacity, unencumbered by the systems that sometimes pull people behind, whether it is the role of pharmaceutical companies, whether it's our inability to educate the physicians for the next generation, whether it is the ability to have our seniors thrive in their retirement. There are all of these things that are about unlocking freedom to live in our society. And that is why health is a central piece of it. When you look at housing, housing is often a health issue. When you look at challenges we face with climate change, that is a series of health issues. So, you know, health, as they say sometimes, is our wealth. And our our continued commitment to investing in it is paramount. 
I'm Dr. Risa E. Lewis, dropping in to tell you about a book that Dr. Adair Landry and I wrote. It's called Microskills, Small Actions, Big Impact. It's a business self-help book being published in April of 2024 by HarperCollins. We believe every future goal, complicated task, and healthy habit can be broken down into simple, measurable, and tiny skills that you can practice and then excel by removing obstacles, overcoming assumptions, and maximizing your potential at work and in life. You can pre-order it now. Go to bookshop.org, amazon.com, or wherever you buy your books. You were a Truman Scholar and a Marshall Scholar, and I'd love to hear how you believe those experiences played a role in you, your professional, and where you are right now. Well, to do anything in this world, in our country, in politics and government, you have to be surrounded by people who are drawn to a similar mission. And in both circumstances, that mission was impact. The mission is to see how we could do the most to help the world. In the case of the Truman Scholarship, that was a scholarship for people with a demonstrated record and a commitment to a career in public service given to college juniors. So what do you know really when you're 20 or 21 years old? Not very much, but I did know that I would spend my life dedicated to others. And when you look at the communities that I've been able to build, a lot of them are connected to some of these opportunities to cultivate like-minded folks who are not only friends, but partners in the work ahead. Similarly, the Marshall Scholarship, which is a memorial to the work of the Marshall Plan that rebuilt Europe. Again, the transatlantic commitment is a great experience to you know spend time at Oxford, but even more important, the relationships and bonds that I make that so many Marshall scholars have continued to live out in diplomatic roles and roles in business and roles in communities across this country. Your voice. When did you realize you had a voice and when did you start using that voice? Well, look, I think we all have a voice and that's the capital V voice. That is the agency to impact others with not only the words, but your presence and your passion. And so for me, when I was a young boy, you know, I remember reading a book on Martin Luther King to my class in kindergarten. I remember seeing on TV news that Huh, it's the people who are elected who have a capacity to impact a lot of people's lives, right? There are so many ways to make change. There are so many theories of change. For me, I've always wanted to operate at scale and empower others and unlock the possibilities that what, you know, a purpose-driven life could be, not only for me, but for others as well. And so that's why politics and government are sort of what I've fallen into. But when you look at voice, the measure is not volume. And when I say volume, it's not just the sound, the number of times you hear yourself. It's about how effective the deployment of that voice is and what comes next. Because, you know, there was a, a, a character on the West Wing who said, what's a, a leader with no followers? Just a guy talking. You don't want to just be a person talking. You want people to come along with you on the journey. Effective deployment, Gabe Abo. Effective deployment. What keeps you up at night? Suffering. Suffering. There's too much of it in the world in so many ways. But I think about it in ways big and small. I think of the young person who is going home after school and opens the refrigerator and there isn't anything in the fridge. I think about suffering when we look at 
the humanitarian crises that we have around the world, whether it is Gaza or Africa or so many parts of Central America and South America with people taking these daring journeys to find opportunity. I want part of my job to be about the reduction of that pain. And we have such a limited time in this world. So you have to figure out where you can insert and know that and have great humility to know that you will not eliminate the vast majority of it, no matter what you do, whether it's the healing works of a doctor or whether it is the legislation that we see off of Capitol Hill, you're going to attack a slice. But the hope is that others will be in that mission. And if we all come to it together, then we can have the impact that we desire. You're a Northern Rhode Islander from Pawtucket. I'm a Southern Rhode Islander from Westerly. And listeners may not be familiar with our great little state. Mm -hmm. What are some of the idiosyncrasies of Rhode Island that you think people should know to really understand what goes on with the politics? Well, it's funny. I was going to say you like country and I like rock and roll, but Rhode Island is, is unique in the sense that we cling to the identities that we have even in the small nooks and crannies of our community. When I say cling, I don't mean that in a bad way. When I talk about Pawtucket, I talk about Woodlawn in Pawtucket. I get very granular on the street names, the playgrounds we went to, even the congressional office that I work out of in Pawtucket overlooks the Little League field that I played on when I was playing left out. And when I say left out, that wasn't left outfield. I was just kind of left out. But Rhode Islanders, we have a great appreciation for place and origins. Everybody wants to know, you know, who you're related to, where those people went to school, where they work, what used to be in the place that that current new operation is in. You know, the, our directional signals are, are always uh, based around memory and proximity to memory. So all 39 cities and towns have their own unique identities. And that is, I actually think, part of our strength is that we care deeply who we are, but where uh, on the map we exist. I was delighted when you said yes to joining me in conversation. When I shared with people like, oh, I'm going to be speaking with Congressman Amo. They're like, Congressman Amo, people in Rhode Island know who you are. <laughs> and in many ways, you are a first. How does that feel? Well, look, the mission of being the first is to, to not be the last. So my goal is effectively to make sure that I have a great appreciation for everybody who came before me. There are so many people of all stripes, right? You know, I talk about the Rhode Island story, whether it's an immigrant story, whether it's the story of black folks fighting for fair housing in Rhode Island in the in the 60s and 70s to us finally codifying Roe versus Wade a few years ago to the people who were the original inhabitants of the land who interfaced with Roger Williams and so many settlers that followed. I know that I stand on the shoulders of so many. And so that gives me a great obligation. You know, I'm not going to waltz in to be in the first and just settle on that rest on my laurels. It means that I have to work just as hard as I did to get this job to not only keep the job because that's, you know, temporary jobs come and go, but to actually execute on the functions and be representative. It's not just a word in the title. It is my raison d'etre every day to reflect all of the stories that have come before. But, you know, to be the first, it means a lot to me and I don't take it for granted. 
I love that you just said raison d'être. Moi, je parle français. Yes, I took like three years in middle school. So I, my French is a little rough, but, you know. As a final sort of message, again, we're at your first 100 days. What can people look forward to seeing and hearing from you? Yes, I would say people should expect to see three things. They should expect the attitude that I possess will be one of great optimism, one of great energy, one of vigor and intensity, because that's what it requires, right? We have a country where there are, you know, often questions about the effectiveness of our government. And I believe that we deserve leaders who are going to reflect and look like they're working hard, not just work hard in silence, but look like they're working hard. So one is, is that attitude that I'll possess of great optimism and energy. The second is a deep focus on Rhode Island. I serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee. I serve on the Science, Space, and Technology Committee. Things that people might not see Rhode Island in every day, but you better believe every opportunity I get to pull out a Rhode Island story in that work while I'm here in Washington or there in Rhode Island, I will work very hard to insert Rhode Island everywhere. And the third thing is going to be a deep amount of responsiveness. I want people to call our offices. I want people to email. I want folks to feel like I work for them because, in fact, I work for the people of the 1st Congressional District, and I've been hired to do a job, and I will do everything I can to get a good customer review from the people of the 1st District, and I hope everyone knows that I'm honored to have this role. I'm honored to be a member of Congress. I'm honored to be at this place, but I'm not done. We're just getting started, and I look forward to everybody being part of this Rhode Island story. The Risa Wrap-Up. Special thanks to Congressman Gabe Amo for joining me in conversation, and special thanks to Gabe's team for making sure this conversation happened amidst a busy day, in and out of the office, in and out of meetings, in and out of committee, in and out of caucus, and more. So some background audience for you on Rhode Island, the state of Rhode Island, which is the smallest state in the United States. Rhode Island is divided into two congressional districts. Each of them is represented by a member of the United States House of Representatives. No Republican has won a House seat in the state since 1990. It is the least populous state in the nation to have more than one congressional district. Another point on Rhode Island politics and demographics. Since the Great Depression, Rhode Island politics have been dominated by the Rhode Island Democratic Party, and the state is considered part of the Democrats' blue wall. Finally, Gabe Amo and his first congressional district seat. Congratulations. His 100 days have passed. However, he's only just begun. As he shared, he's listening, he's learning, he's joining. He's very aware that he's standing on the shoulders of those who came before him. And as he said, he may be the first. However, he will not be the last. That's all I have for you this week, audience. See you next time. The Visible Voices podcast amplifies voices both known and unknown, discussing topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. We are a production of the People's Media Network. Our team includes Dr. Giuliano DePorto and me, Dr. Risa E. Lewis. Please find me on social media at Risa E. Lewis and through the website, thevisiblevoicespodcast.com. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us. Share the podcast with a friend today. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, to be continued.
Do you know there's research that women that attend women conferences are more likely to have a promotion or a raise in the next year? Imagine if you could also attend a retreat in California and enjoy some sunshine and beach time. That's what we've put together for you April 5th through 7th in Huntington Beach, California. Visit peoplealwayshcc.com slash revitalize retreat to learn more.